Hello, and welcome to Bobby and Yen's presented by Zwift. One thing I'm thankful for is still being able to train with friends on Zwift any time of the day. Being motivated by the massive community means there's always someone to ride with and new locations to explore. Like the new Japanese-inspired Makuri Islands and my personal favorite route, the Mega Pretzel on Watopia. Riding with friends makes the training easier and they always know how to push me. Visit Zwift.com and I'll see you on there soon. Ride on. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Bobby and Jens. My name is Bobby Julik, and as always, my trusted counterpart, Jens Vogt. Jens, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. Um, did work commentating racing on the weekend, and then spent the day yesterday get my paperwork straight because in a few days I'm gonna fly to the United States of America to be there for track bicycles at the Track World Cup in Waterloo, Wisconsin, which will be this weekend. So by the time, my friends, you hear this podcast, I will be in good old America. Oh, man, we're going to have to have you uh, pack your podcast stuff then when you're over here, because uh, if you're over here for a while, you know, don't miss recording day, Yenzi. I won't, because it's a short trip. I fly home Monday. And then I fly straight to Salzburg in Austria to join my family on a family holiday in Austria. But they start two days earlier without me because I'm in the U.S. Somebody got to go working, right? Yeah. Um, and then I join the family. So I fly straight from U.S. to Salzburg, Austria and have another six days of a family holiday. Awesome. Awesome. I had a really good weekend, too. Um so Saturday, I went up to Hyannisport um, to do the Best Buddies Challenge because it is Down Syndrome Awareness Month. So what better way to start off than with a great ride supporting the Best Buddies charity? And it was Saturday. And as we're going along, the women were racing Paris-Roubaix. So there, over the 100-mile course, there was five little rest stops, and each rest stop... Um, I would kind of get an update of what was going on. And how do you know, you know, what do you know? Lizzie Dagnan, who we had on our podcast the few days before, was in the lead with 80 some odd K to go at the second rest stop. And then she was still in the lead at the third rest stop. And by the time we got to the fourth rest stop, she won. So I don't know, Yenzi, maybe we have the magic touch here on Bobby and Yens. You know, you come on to our podcast and what happens? We clearly have because we had Tom Pitcock on our podcast as well. And like just a month down the road, he ended up winning the Olympics, which is not the smallest event in the world. So, yes, my friend, we do have the magic touch. We should actually start charging money from our guests because we can make their life dream come true. I don't know about that. I think we just got lucky. But uh, congratulations to her. The men's race was fantastic as well. I mean... I've never seen not one, not two, but three first-time riders get on the podium of Paris-Roubaix. But I tell you, it was it was pretty cool. I got to watch it with George Hincapi and Christian Vanneveld, and I have zero uh, Paris-Roubaix starts. Christian has a couple, but I don't think he ever got to the end because his job was to get the team leaders up up to and through the Ehrenberg. 
But watching it with George, it was it was super cool. I mean, he had so many real cool, like, oh, this next section, you got to ride on this side. This section is where this happened. This section is where my forks broke and I went into the ditch and broke my collarbone. And one of the coolest things that he said, he goes, man, I'm going into this sector thinking, okay, look out, y'all. And then I came out of the sector in an ambulance. That was like, ooh, this is for real. Because, man, you would not catch me riding Paris-Roubaix, let alone in the conditions that they had. So to the women and to the men, like Yen said last week, you're a gladiator. When you finish that race, you have that certain feather in your cap for the rest of your life that that I'll never have. But at the same time, like it is fantastic to watch. So thank you to all the participants for giving us one heck of a weekend of racing. But uh, on to our podcast today, we're not going to stop here. Um, we have Rasan Bahadi, who is one of the most coolest cats I think you'll ever meet. He's done a lot in the world of, of cycling, and he's also done a lot after the work, you know, after his retirement. And I had to ask him, are you actually retired? Because he's been on the mountain bike, he's been doing the Race Across America, which he and his team won. So we sat down with Rasan today, and so just listen, because there's some good stuff here. This is one of the one of the good guys in the sport. Okay, here we go with another super interesting guest, one of the, the best people in the Peloton, Mr. Rashan Bahadi. Rashan, welcome to Bobby and Jens. Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for having me today. Man, I tell you, sometimes trying to follow you on social media just gives me a headache because <laughs> I'm like, I thought he was retired, but that'll be my first question. Are you officially retired or are you still active you got me uh, in a quandary here. I, I think i'm like you and and yans in certain regards uh because i i don't race for a living anymore uh but i still go out there and, and ride my bike and sometimes get in into events where just you compete if it's not against yourself against others but again i'm not doing it for a placing i'm not doing it for money i'm just kind of out there enjoying what cycling has given me over the last 20 years and talking about what cycling has has given you, um, you know, this is a, a podcast tethered to the world of cycling. Mm -hmm. So, for those of our listeners that don't know, give us a little introduction of how you got involved in cycling. I understand that it was from a, a seventh grade English teacher. Is that correct? That is correct. I grew up in Compton, California. Um, if you're not familiar with Compton, it's it's any like hood, ghetto suburb in any big city. Um, and I grew up in in that area in the early 80s. So, you know, drugs and guns and violence and uh, everything else that was going on that wasn't positive was I was surrounded in it, you know, I was surrounded by it. Um, I always tell people I was fortunate enough to, to have both mom and dad at home. And that really kept me in the right direction as much as possible, you know, when, when I was uh, with them. So yeah, it was a uh, interesting times growing up. You know, I, I lived in Compton where we had the, um, 
the riots because of you know the Rodney King verdict. You know, I lived through all that and and Eze and and uh, all, I mean just like the the typical thing that you see on TV about Compton. That's how I grew up. And so, yeah, going to school there, my my teacher introduced me to bikes and golf, and I had to choose one. And I chose bikes because I thought it was motorcycles, and I thought I could race motorcycles for a living, not bicycles. And I was introduced to track cycling, where I didn't like it at all. Um, it was nothing appealing to it to me uh specifically the uniform you know and the helmets and all that stuff i was like dude I, i'm not wearing that stuff um you know a year later i i enjoyed being at the facility and and meeting people like for instance sarah hammer was in the same program that i was in and she was well far advanced than i was at the time but just being around people who didn't look like me but we were doing the same thing i became very interested in the sport and then next thing you know i was racing so how old were you when you had your first license or how old were you when you had your first race so my first race came at 13 years old i raced uh the current At the time, he was a current sprint champion. He was 18, and they put me up against him in a practice race, and I smoked him. Uh, so it's this 13-year-old <laughs> smoked an 18-year-old. And that's where like all the coaches was like, all right, you need to get a license and start racing bikes because you have something special. So I got my license pretty much right after that, about 13 and a half. And then my first real bike race came that summer in Kenosha, Wisconsin, on the, on the velodrome. So, so you did actually stay on the track for a while then? Yeah, it was so funny, man. Um, when I got to Kenosha, so I was 14 and I won four medals that year. Uh, didn't win a gold medal though. And uh, I was hooked and, and I'm meeting all these kids and they're like, oh man, Rasan, you know, are you going to uh, road nationals? And I was just like, what the heck is road nationals? I had no idea what a road bike was, that it even existed. And I was so bummed that all these kids were going from Kenosha. I think we went to Cincinnati that year and I couldn't go. I didn't even own a road bike at the time. So um, yeah, I got home and you know uh, hooked up with a local club, Major, uh, Major Motion out of LA. And they pretty much you know supported me, got a bike for me. My parents couldn't afford to buy me a bike at that time. And uh, I got into road cycling. Two years later, I didn't even want to really touch the track anymore. I was addicted to road racing. So and then where were you raced a little bit for amateurs and then how did you turn pro? How, how did that happen? Just because of results or you had a little bit of luck meeting the right person or how did that uh, turn out then? Man, I, Jans, I think all of the above. Um, one, you know, we all know the big elephant in the room. You know, I, I, I coined this phrase when I was really young. I said, I'm, I'm always the raisin in milk. So it was like, even if you're a bad cyclist but you're black you get some recognition for being out there for being the only one right but then for me i was actually the only one but i was winning as well and that of course put my name on the map with certain people and my first uh my first real look was with the u.s national team um after nationals was in san diego and it's my, not my hometown but my home state at least and i won some medals there uh, on the road and track and uh my first international trip came with usa cycling i went to the pan am games uh for road and track and got medals in both disciplines and from there i met uh john warden who ran Mercury oh cycling yes of team. course yeah yeah he gave me my first contract Uh, and was paying me a little bit of money under the table. I was 17 and he was sticking me in some of the biggest races uh, that I've ever done. And uh, I was still young and really didn't know what I was doing, but it gave me the opportunity to grow. And actually I met, 
I think I met you. No, I met George uh, Hincappy uh, as an 18 year old at the crit he used to put on in his in his hometown in Greenville. And I made the break as an 18 year old in the pro race. And that's where George took a liking to me. So it's like right place at the right time, so, you know, some results. And and honestly, just being who I am, uh, I've never really had any issues, you know, with anyone in cycling. I just try to go about my business and have fun. I remember we, we spoke about this a couple of years ago when you came out for the Hincapie Grand Fondo, but I remember racing with you on uh, those those Philly races. Mm -hmm. And um, I was looking all morning because I thought I had, I know I have it somewhere, a picture of us on the podium. I think, you know, you were second or third and I was fourth or fifth or up there for the sprint jersey or something all like the, that. All the way around. But I took the last spot, fifth, and you, I think you were a fourth because you made the break. I won the field sprint. Oh, see, there you go. But I mean, there, there was a photo of us. So I'm just like, at least at least I got to race with this guy. Yeah. And yeah, I just I just remember, you know, there was you you were just just an awesome dude and great bike racer. You obviously have had a long career. But um, going back to like your beginnings, mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about that group of your support, your your, your support system. Yeah. And how. You know, because man, this sport, you're on top of the heap one moment and you're at the bottom the next, mm -hmm. but it's those people that stand behind you that really make the difference. And obviously you had that sort of support system. Um, tell us a little bit about those people. Yeah, for me, it started at home. You know, I mentioned earlier, I had mom and dad um, and I grew up with five sisters and a brother. So big household, you know, um, and I, I just had the epiphany probably about five years ago. Like, I don't even know how my parents did it. How did they feed everybody? You know, I have three of my own and, and, and that's a challenge. So, you know, um, six over here. Yeah, this cat's man. got six. Dude, that's amazing, <laughs> man. Um, so yeah, I uh, started at home and then just the support came from just the local community for the most part. Like I, like I mentioned, uh, Major Motion is a group within LA that was named after the great Major Taylor. And you know, they have all these Major Taylor uh, chapters all over the country. And back then, you know, it, it, it was a little different in the day. They really, really supported the youth. Um, I wasn't the only one that they supported. Uh, we had a junior team that had maybe four or five kids on it where the members would raise, I mean, thousands of dollars to make sure that we were going to nationals, that we had the right equipment, you know, that we had the clothing and like, you know, our parents didn't have to worry. So huge support to them. And then there were certain individuals within that group that just took a liking to me and literally like, in a way adopted me, you know what I mean? And uh, took me under their wing. So that was like the foundation for me. Without that foundation, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have gone as far as I did in the sport. Yeah, you did race uh, rock racing mm -hmm. um, and Cipollini. We found <laughs> that he was like kind of like one of your idols or you liked him. Uh, so yeah. he was your teammate. How, how was that? Yeah, that was a trip, man. Uh, I, I never forget watching Cipollini race, you know, and, and win all those stages in the Giro and whatnot. And just like he was he was like the modern day. I don't know uh, who who would I, I can't compare to anyone right now. No one really has the swag that he had. You know what I mean? Like he was well Never. before his time. Never will. Yeah. So, and it's just like, I, I got a Cannondale, the chip, the Saeco Cannondale. I was so happy to get that aluminum Cannondale. And I ordered all these stickers that said like, uh, my nuts are made of titanium because he had a sticker like that on his bike. And I put that all over my bike. I just wanted to be like him. Um, yeah. So it was surreal. Like 
getting to see him at our training camp. Um, I guess the downside to that is that he wasn't as cool as I thought he was. You know what I mean? Like he was such a he wasn't nice to his teammates. You know what I mean? He was and it was different. It wasn't just like he was there for business. It was like, okay, I understand when you got your business cap on, you got your business cap on. But I expected a little more like friendlier guy. Now, fast forwarding when he completely retired and he's back in the U.S. doing some stuff like he came to uh, inner bike and stuff like that. And I got a chance to hang out with him again. Totally different attitude. So I kind of got like these two different personalities from him. And the first time I was like, uh, well, I just like you on TV better, you know. <laughs> he was a character. There's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. It's kind of, you know, him popping up there and jumping out of the Escalade at your guys' training camp mm -hmm. and riding with you and then jumping back in and then coming in and racing with us in Torrey, California. Um, that was crazy. But uh, I mean, you've, you've been national champion on at so many different levels. How many national championship uh, titles do you actually have if you add them all up from your junior days? Yeah. So from juniors to collegiate to pro our amateur and pro, I have 10. I actually think I have 12 because I, I think I'm missing two from collegiate. But well, the 10 that I that I really know about, they're legit. And I'm glad you mentioned that because that was going to be one of my next questions. I read that you went to Indiana University and and um, majored in computer animation and telecommunications. What year was that, and when did you have time <laughs> to do that? With so I have an interesting story for you. Uh, speaking of Cipollini, so 11 years ago, the World Championships were in Belgium. I don't know if you remember that, that was the year Cipollini won. Right. Um, I was on the under 23 national team at the time and actually having some decent results. Um, I didn't get any like big wins, but when it came to like Flanders and, and Roubaix and all these like one day races, I was always in there like top 20 somewhere. And I was feeling really good. And, you know, worlds are in Belgium. I'm like, dude, this is right up my alley. Like, I, I think I can win this year. And at the same exact time, my, my dad got a hold of me and said, hey, man, you got an opportunity to go to school at Indiana University. He's like, I don't think you, should, you want to pass this one up, you know? And I didn't really want to go to school. I wanted to be a bike racer. And so uh, I went to national team coach at the time. It was Noel. And I said, hey, Noel, I need to go home, you know, for a few days. I'm going to meet my teachers in Indiana, let them know that I'm going to be representing the United States, blah, blah, blah. And he pretty much looked me in the eye and was like, if you leave, don't come back. And I was like, I was so heartbroken. And uh, yeah, I left. And I, I didn't get a chance to race Worlds that year. And honestly, that was my last time racing with the national team. That was like 2001. So it ended very badly. <laughs> it, is, it is often for, very, for a lot of young people, the choice they have to make. Put all your eggs in that one basket, turning pro. May it be baseball, basketball, or cycling. Mm -hmm. But it's it's you know it, it it's a relatively small chance. Everything has to fall in line for you, or go for the safe option. Listen to your parents, listen to your older brother, maybe you know, and go to school. It's always a tough decision. I really have to say it's it's um it's a turning point in every young person's life, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, and it's I think it really boils down to uh like your gut and also just like your support system. You know, because at any given moment, you know, you got both of you been a bike race for a long time. It could it could end just like that. And then and then what? And we all know friends from the Peloton that it ended just like that. and They have nothing else to fall back on. So, you know, at the end of the day, I do wish that, like, I could have raced a Tour de France and some of the biggest races in Europe. But 
it wasn't meant to be. And, and I'm here. So I, you know, I'm still blessed. And talking about friends in the Peloton, um, tell us about your relationship with Justin and Corey Williams. Mm. Um, you guys are just crushing it on so many different levels. Uh, when did you guys meet? How long have you guys known each other? And what sort of <clears throat> things do you work together on? Yeah, so I, I met their father when I was maybe 15 years old. I was a cat three and just like couldn't lose, right? I was like beating up on all the old guys. And then I got forced to move out of the cat threes to the cat twos. Um, and we just had a friendly like battle. His dad was pretty fast sprinter um, and, and I was young and I was fast, but we were friends too. And so Justin and Corey wanted to play American sports, right? They wanted to play baseball, football, basketball. And I think they were doing that full time. And Cowman, the father kept saying, man, just take my kids out for a bike ride, take them out for a bike ride. So Justin and I start riding together. And um, eventually he started racing. He joined the same club that I joined, Major Motion, which supported him big time. We started riding together. And then, you know, Corey and Justin went, went about their own way racing. And then the very first time I met Michael Ball, he said, I want to sponsor you. And I, and I was like, well, that's not really how it works. I still want to race, you know, the big circuit and you got to be on the team. And it was pretty simple with him. He's like, well, how much money does it cost? And I laid it out. Well, this is what you can do. And he said, all right, well, here's the budget. And the first person I call when I left his office was Justin. I said, Justin, you're turning pro next year. You're going to get paid like $25,000 and we're going to have some fun. And yeah, he got on rock racing and then, you know, his career went many ways. Um, and you know exactly what he's doing now. And uh, yeah, we just, uh, for the most part in today's world, um, we just bounce ideas off each other. We try to support each other in any way we can. Um, I try to support him as much as possible. Uh, you may know in 2010, I started my own team um, which, you know, fell apart really fast after only about five months. And, um, and so, so, so from those learnings, I try to, you know, give him some wisdom from what I learned and how to really navigate things and, and, uh, also just judge character. You know, um, I had some issues with my team where it was just a really, I hired some people with, with bad character and it, it, it fell apart, you know, and just, I try to express those things so he doesn't make the same mistakes. So uh, when you talk about bouncing IDs, when did that ID bounce into your head uh, to do that race across America? <laughs> and, and that actually that turned out really, really good, right? Like, let us know all about that. Yeah, yeah. So it all started in 2018. Longtime friend of mine wanted to do it with two of his friends as a bucket list. You know, like race across America. I could check that off. That's pretty cool. So we did it, and you know, we weren't in it to win it. It was kind of let's just get across the country safely. Um, fast forwarding to last year or this year's race, um, he hit me up again. I was like, ah, man, I don't know if I want to do it. <laughs> But then there were some things in place where we can raise money for my foundation, which was needed. Like we're always constantly trying to raise funds. And yeah, man, I told him, I said, we could do it for the foundation, but we have to put together a team that could go for the win. And we did. Um, I hired or we picked up a guy, Rudy, that was on rock racing with me. And then a guy who just moved to the U.S. about 10 years ago from England, who everyone knows in this area that gets up at 5 a.m. and go rides 200 miles on one water bottle and no food. I was like, perfect. He's the guy we need on our team. And so, yeah, we had a lot of fun, raised some money and won the race. Yeah. Winning the race uh, over just over 3000 miles, um, 175,000 feet of elevation um six days five hours 41 minutes but the craziest thing as i was following you on instagram and then reading all the social media stuff was a you did this during a pandemic year and b you did it 
through one of the biggest kind of like heat waves that area has ever seen. And were you guys actually riding as reported when it was 126 degrees outside? I mean, can you even do that? Um, you could definitely do it. It's not suggested. I could tell you that much. Um, <laughs> our, our pulls were going from 20 minutes down to about five minutes because after about two minutes, you couldn't breathe. And this is still in California. When we got to like the high deserts reaching Arizona, I mean, you're talking 120 plus degrees. And yeah, I was like, dude, I'd rather have it freezing raining right now than this. And uh, the only time we got lucky, actually, it was so hot, a fire broke out in Flagstaff, Arizona, and they forced everyone to stop, get in their cars and drive 80 miles away from it and then restart. That literally saved us. That 80 miles was, I mean, it would have taken us maybe seven hours to do the 80 miles the way that how hot it was. So uh, the entire race had to stop, get in a car and caravan 80 miles to a new start, um, which got us outside of the, the red zone where it was like smoky and super hot and nasty. If you want to get more out of your free time, sign up to Outside Plus for less than a dollar a week you can get a hard copy of Valley News magazine, choose two books a year from VeloPress, access all the premium content from the whole outside family, including Yoga Journal, Peloton Magazine, and Backpacker. And that's not all. There are discounts of the hottest gear and biggest events, as well as virtual health and fitness courses. It's $350 of value every year in one $99 subscription. But if you head to valuenews.com slash outside plus and enter Bobby Jens 25, all one word, lowercase, at checkout, you'll receive our special 25% discount and you make a good deal great. Now back to our chat with Razan. Well, you know, as, as a as the coach in me always says, the ones that will get the best uh, the best out of their workouts are the ones who can't imagine not working out and just have a just a great time doing it. Uh, but sometimes the best reason for working out or doing something like that is just because. But your just because is a perfect segue into the Bahati Foundation. Um, I see the poster behind you on the wall. Tell us a little bit about that, because as a person, a fan of yours looking in, that's one of your biggest, if not your biggest accomplishment of what you've done there. So give us give us an idea of what your foundation does and how we can support that moving forward. Yeah, so launched the foundation in 2010 <clears throat> uh, with the idea, honestly, of just getting more kids on bikes from the inner city. We all know it's it's a tough hurdle, right, to get kids on bikes, um, at least to get to the level that we've reached at at, at some res at some respect. So, I didn't really know exactly what I was going to do. I just wanted to get more kids from the inner city on bikes, and then as things start to evolve, you 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 find your lane. And our mission statement is to inspire kids um, through education, music, and sports. Um, so a lot of people don't know this. I my the first thing I learned to do was play saxophone. My dad was a musician. Five years old, I'm playing 
all my scales up and down, chromatic scales, I could read music, you name it. And so music was everything. And then I got into sports and then uh, I picked up the drums. And so like those three things, education, music and sports is is our mission statement. And um, yeah, we, we support local schools uh, that's losing their music programs uh, by donating instruments and stuff like that. Uh, we give away bikes uh, to kids in our in our city uh, with my partner, Giant Bicycles. So every holiday we do bikes, helmets, locks. Um, we teach these kids just like life skills, also transportation is a way of transportation. Um, and also we try to encourage the parents and the guardians to get involved because I feel like if the whole household is healthy, it really transforms into more healthy lifestyle, healthy living and stuff like that. So yeah, we do a lot, man. And uh, our, our big goal right now is to actually create a bike park in our neighborhood. So the kids that we're donating bikes to have a safe place to actually ride and uh, be a part of the cycling community. So I, I uh, did read in your um, foundation you uh, you did work with 30 schools already. Is that correct? Yeah, roughly, maybe a little more now. Um, and we, you know, we want to expand that. Uh, I, and that's probably not even counting the schools that I've worked with. Um, I do a lot of work in the Chicago area, um, just because they have a lot of similarities to LA. You know, just with like uh, the marginalization and the, the disparity between like the nice neighborhoods and the and the not so nice neighborhoods. And those are the ones that I want to impact because uh, they deserve to live and and get an education the same way like the suburb schools uh, have, but it takes resources. And so we're trying to help provide some of those resources. And these schools you, you work with, you go there like a few times per year or once a year, or uh, how, how does it work? Like, uh, do you stay in contact with the principal or how mm -hmm. exactly that does it work? Yeah, so everything starts at like the district level and kind of whittles down to the principals. Um, and then we really need them to support and understand our idea, I, our idea. And, it, and sometimes you get pushback because they don't see the concept, you know, it's like, ah, this bike thing. So uh, we've been lucky enough to really have the faculty and the, and the staff and the principals like really support us. And because without them, it doesn't matter what the school district says, without them, we can't get into their schools. We can't have an impact on them. So yeah, um, I definitely see them at least twice a year, but we have uh, volunteers and we have other people that help, you know, get things going, for instance, um, our partnership with Outright Foundation and USA Cycling, we have an event this Sunday um, called Let's Ride. So these Let's Ride camps are just introducing cycling to kids, uh, showing them safe ways to ride in the streets and stuff like that. And uh, we're teaming up with three other organizations to do it. And it's going to be held at the um, the Dignity Health Center, which is uh, where the LA 84 Olympics were. Cal State Dominguez Hills, where I got my start in cycling. Um, so that's going to be pretty fun. Wow. Yeah. Dang. I mean, you wear so many hats. It's it's kind of hard to um, to to keep track of them. But uh, you know, the Yen, Bobby and Yen's podcast is presented by Zwift. Mm -hmm. And first of all, learned this just uh, during the pre little conversation that we had that you're actually entering your fourth year of being an employee at Zwift. Yep. Can't believe it. Time flies. That's. That, that's that's awesome. I mean, Zwift is a, a fantastic platform. I've used it since the beginning. Eric Min introduced me to it back at David Miller's retirement party in London back in 2014, wow. when basically there was just one one lap of the hilly or one direction of the hilly loop. Mm -hmm. That was the only course. And now there's uh, so darn many. But uh, again, doing a little bit of research, 
Um, I saw that back in your years with Saturn, that there was actually a precursor to Zwift mm. called Cyberbike. <laughs> what was that? Because I mean, I never heard about that back then. I just heard about it when I was, you know, kind of doing some research on you. What was that all about? Yeah, that was a lot of fun, man. And it was uh, for a guy my age that wasn't making a lot of money. I was always up for it because basically GM that owns Saturn Cycling or Saturn Cars uh, would would pay for, you know, a couple of cyclists to show up to these car shows. And it was a way to attract people to the Saturn booth. So you had these professional cyclists sitting on the on a bike on a compu trainer and it was basically uh like a quarter of a mile sprint and then so like for instance someone like Yvonne Dominguez and I would race each other in front of this crowd of like you know three four hundred people we will set a, a time and then now you invite the consumers or the audience to come up and try it and it was basically yeah it was it was like the original version of Zwift you know what I mean and it was so much fun you know what the original version of Zwift is is I lived in Philly for a long time and uh, they have a great bike community there. Mm. And uh, towards the end, I was uh, invited to the roller races. Mm. So it was basically at a bar and they had rollers and then they had a timer and they somehow added it up. So there you are drinking beer and then you're thrown onto a roller race. And, you know, rollers are a lot more difficult to, to ride on yeah. than a turbo trainer, right? Oh, yeah. So it, it was funny, people of all backgrounds, bike messengers, pro cyclists, weekend warriors, and it, it was just a blast. And, um, you know, hearing all these ways that we can, you know, share the world of cycling, either outside, indoors, mm -hmm. downhill, uphill, in the dirt, on the gravel, whatever, is, is just fantastic. I, I, I love it. Yeah, I think that's what makes Zwift 2 so incredible is like... You don't have to be like a world tour or professional style rider to enjoy it, you know, and you could be as competitive as you want or as leisure as you want, and you're going to still enjoy it. And I think it's such an incredible platform. And I love that when I've been pushing this this on people for so long and then they finally do it, you know, a year and a half goes by and they finally do it and they're kicking themselves like, man, I should have listened to you last year. Like, this is the best thing that's happened to me. And so, yeah, if you're listening, give it a try. It's worth it. Hey, um, you mentioned uh, that you have three children yourself. Um, any of them are into cycling or uh, you, you got boys or girls? How old are they? And um, what happens if they go dead? We want to race in Europe. Well, what would you say? <laughs> Yeah, so uh, we have we have three girls, uh, 17, 15, and 13. We actually just put our first daughter in college, which uh, kind of makes me feel old a little bit. Uh, but yeah, they, they love riding bikes, but not competitively. Um, where I live, I can get on my bike and feel safe riding on city streets, um, but I wouldn't let them. So it's a whole production to go for a ride, you know, bike rack bikes, air pump, all this stuff. And then we drive, we go to the beach, then we ride. Um, so yeah, but they haven't showed any interest. Uh, our older two girls, I have three girls. I don't know if I mentioned that. Um, our oldest two run track. Uh, the oldest one is a hundred meter hurdler and the middle one is like middle distance, 800, 400, 1500. And the young one's trying to figure it out. So yeah, no, no, no bike racing. But if they wanted to go, of course I would support it, man. When they were first born, I bought all kind of bike stuff, you know, and wanted them to follow that, 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 uh, route. But I remember my parents being so cool and just kind of allowing me 
to pursue what I wanted to pursue. And I kind of took that chapter out of that book and applied it to my kids. Um, and one of the things I always tell them, I can't want it more than you. So if there's anything that they're doing and they're not super passionate about, but I am, I, I start to back off. It's like, I can't want it more than you. If you want to be a bike racer or want to be the best at track and field, whatever it may be, that burn has to be more on your side than my side. And when it's more on my side, that's when I back off. That's a very good life lesson, my friend. I might take that and steal it from you and use it later on. Use it. That's a very nice word. Thanks. Yeah. Jens has four girls. You have three. I have two. Um, yeah, it's, it's a learning process. But another thing that I learned about you recently that I was quite surprised then, but not at the same time because you see seem to be the jack of all trades tell me what's up with your new passion of mountain biking <laughs> i see i mean every time on instagram i'm like oh my gosh what's he doing now and then i saw this uh the latest one with you with the the uh, the gopro on your head going downhill yeah tell us about tell us about that newfound passion and and how awesome that's been man you know, it's just crazy. I uh, I ended up at a bike park in Southern California. What even really supposed to be there? I went, uh, didn't know what I was doing, borrowed a bike, and I ran into Brian Lopez. I don't know if you're familiar with Brian Lopes. Oh, yeah. So I haven't seen Brian in probably five or six years. Long story short, we have a beer together there, and I'm really bad at all of this stuff. I can't jump. I'm a scared. I'm afraid to even like go over a little hump. And uh, he invites me to Bentonville, Arkansas. And that was about... That was about April of last year. And he kept saying, yeah, man, we go do some jumps and it's super cool. And I was like, number one, I don't want to go to Arkansas. Number two, I'm not good at it. I don't want to go ride with all these big pros that know how to do all this gravity stuff. And after twisting my arm for the most part, you know, I went and it was it was the most incredible trip that I had. Not only because I learned so much about mountain biking and I was in a, a crazy place to ride mountain bikes, but we were actually there with Strider bikes and we were delivering bikes to local schools and really getting to know that community. And then I got hooked up with the Walden family and then start doing more things down there. And I said, well, since I'm going to Arkansas a lot, I better learn how to ride mountain bikes. And I just started riding more. And it's it's like anything else, man. The more you do it, the better you'll get at it. And now, you know, I, I can actually jump and get some air and do a couple whips here and there. And uh, it's challenging to me because I'm not that good at it. So the, I want to do it more so I can be good at it. Yeah, watching you on that YouTube video, it, it was pretty funny because every time you'd have a little um, a little bobble, you would giggle, and you could hear the giggle through 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 the audio, and it was just like, "Hey, man, he knows he knows the limits. He's not going to press those limits." But yeah, I mean, cycling is just amazing, and you know, when we were riding on the road, all we did was ride our road bikes. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe some guys would do some stuff on the track, maybe you'd do some cycle cross. But now there's just so many options. The gravel world has opened up. I've always loved mountain biking, but um, just haven't really, you know, I had an old mountain bike and looking to get a new one. So like, but man, you you actually inspired me through those, your, your trips to Bentonville. I'm going to get George and Christian and the boys together and we're yeah. going to have to go check that place out because it looks amazing. Let's do it. Let's do it. And you guys can stay at my place. I bought a place there. You could, you could hang out there. <laughs> I told and you I'm serious, you teach man. Him. You, you teach him some <laughs> of the jumps. Yes, I can do that too. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep my old old behind on the on the ground for now. That's what um, I said. I'm more about participation and pleasure than placing and pain. Mm. So um, keep you know, 
having neighbors like Christian and, and George don't make it easy to me, uh, <laughs> easy on me very often. But I'm up for a challenge. I, I'd love to do that. Let's do Let's it. Let's do it. Got to get Jens. I was going to say, Jens, Jens uh, got to come uh, over, they, over they, here. Now, I, I know my limits. I would be firing <laughs> up the barbecue and making sure you guys get a good steak once you finish with all your jumps. Uh, I don't know about that, man. I don't know. But it sounds like a fun trip. You should definitely come, even well, if you're just firing up the steaks. He'll have some cold Coronas there for us as well. You know, yep. um, you know, he he's a wannabe American. You know, <laughs> he, he can, you know, maybe wash the bikes, run the barbecue, make sure the cooler is full. But uh, we'll have a great time. Right on. Man, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you are an inspiration to, to so many of us. And knowing you and seeing you come up and do what you do is, you know, through through regardless of skin tone, religion, economic background, whatever, you know, a good bike racer is a good bike racer. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, a good person is a good person. Absolutely. And man, thank you for being the great person that you are. Thanks, Bobby. And I, I think I told you this, um, and I'll leave you guys with this because Jan's probably never heard this. I did a, my first race after I got out of college. It was, uh, I think it was Lancaster. And we were standing in line at the porta potties right before the start. And I knew of Bobby, didn't know him. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like a real pro is here. You're on CSC at the time. And I go, man, this is my first big race, like ever. Like I've never done a race at this caliber. He's like, and I said, uh, you just give me some advice real quick. And you know, he goes, and this sticks to me to this day. And the people that I've helped, I use the same exact words. He goes, it's not about how many pedal strokes you take. It's about how many you don't take. And to some people, it goes over their head. It resonated with me 100%. And I literally raced my entire career off of those statements. I mean, you could ask anyone that's looked at any of my files. They're like, how the hell did you win that race? And you're, you know, this is the watch you put out for two hours or three hours because I was always trying to save a pedal stroke. Thanks. Thanks, Bobby. Dang. Wow. <laughs> you got me like, you got me like crying. Yeah, here. Bobby Holy touched cow. your life forever. That's, that's impressive. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's story. a good story. Roshan, I guess you uh, still have a busy day ahead of you. Um, so, yes, thanks a million times for coming on. And it was so good to catch up after our first encounter in the 2006 tour of California. <laughs> so, so, thanks again for coming on, being a great guest, being a great human being. I wish you all the luck for your future uh, projects you have there. So thanks for being our guest. Uh, thanks so much. It's been amazing. Well, that's all our time for this week. Huge thanks to Rasan for being our great guest. Thanks for listening. And please don't forget to give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show was a Valley News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne. And this episode was edited by Tim Mossa. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. I think it's up now at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us. Before we go, a quick word from our sponsor Zwift. One of the most fun parts about cycling is climbing. So why not try Garrett Thomas's athlete workout, Fun is Flying Uphill. A great pillar of any climber is muscular endurance. And believe me when I say, 
That's what you'll get. Testing yourself on training plans alongside world-class cyclists is what makes Zwift so exciting. I can't wait to show my friends the fitness I built at home. All you need is a bike, trainer, and the Zwift app. Visit Zwift.com and I'll see you on there soon. Ride on.